Hello, and welcome to Catholicism in the Car. My name is Parker Zerba. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back. Maybe I should make that my intro music from now on. Let's see how many dislikes I get on this this podcaster video. If you're on YouTube, you can dislike it. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we were talking last time about Blessed John Don Scotus and a few of the the Franciscan School of Theology. I was talking about where you can find a lot of his work. So I think I covered that subject sufficiently, um, at least for now. It's kind of a niche topic, and I know a lot of people uh, like it when I talk about more general things. <laughs> so I haven't heard from many of you yet, uh, but but um, I, I do enjoy finding out what you guys want to hear about. So so please, please, you can find my contact information on our website, catholicisminthecar.com. Um, you can also find, uh, you can message me on Facebook through our Facebook page. Uh, you can message me through Twitter, I think, if you comment on one of the, comment on one of the posts. Um, I'm sure there's various other ways you can contact me as well. Um, We have a pod page that if you click on the podcast episodes um, link on our website, it'll bring you to that page and you can fill out a form to contact me through that. (laughs) Probably the easiest way though is to go to our contact contact, um, page of our website, catholicismandthecar.com. So let me know, let me know uh, what you guys would like to hear about because I mean I have like a giant list of stuff to talk about, but if this isn't what uh, my listeners are wanting to hear, I, w- I would be very happy to accommodate <laughs> accommodate you guys on subjects that you would like to be discussed um, or like me to comment on. Now, I-, I won't probably do things that are more political. I don't have a lot of interest in doing that. There are certain important things that I think should be talked about like uh, the episodes I did on Nancy Pelosi and excommunication and, you know, her being banned from the Eucharist. Um, Also, I did one on Roe versus Wade uh, a while back um, that I think those are important topics to discuss. But I don't want to, I don't want to get into into the politics of stuff. I also don't really want to get into church politics very much. I mean, I'll talk about it, but I don't want this to become a church gossip podcast. That's not helpful for anybody. Uh, and I think it it leads to more people um, leaving the church than anything else. So, anyway. It, it's good to talk about tough things that are going on in the church. But you can talk about it too much to the point where it obviously can become scandalous especially if things are not well-founded. Yeah, so I just, I like to tread lightly in those areas. Uh, Anyway, but yeah, let me, let me know what you guys think, subjects you're wondering about. 
Um, I'd be happy to talk really about anything in relation to theology or philosophy, even a little bit of history. Um, I can hit up my buddy Derek Taylor at uh, Controversies in Church History, the podcast and YouTube channel. Ask him. <laughs> I can maybe ask him questions. He, he doesn't have a lot of time. But, um, but yeah, if you guys want to hear a really in-depth stuff about history, any, any in-depth topics about history, feel free to contact him. Uh, Derek Taylor with the uh, Controversies in Church History podcast and YouTube channel. I'm sure you can find his, his contact info online. They have a website as well. Um, but he, he has his PhD in history. I mean, he's a, he's a historian. So if you have any questions about church history for him, um, I, would, I would just suggest that you go over there. I can answer basic questions. I have a pretty basic outline of church history and of history in general, but um, but I, I am no expert. <laughs> I'm no expert in any of these things that I talk about. And I want to make that clear. Um, and this actually is because uh, uh, from a suggestion by uh, Derek, do, do, Dr. Derek Taylor, um, I was asking him, you know, like, hey, like, I'm doing this podcast. I don't know if you've listened at all. What do you think? Should I add anything? What do you think I should do? And he was like, well, just make sure that people know that you're not an expert on this stuff. Uh, make sure people know that you're you're an amateur. You love it. You you read a lot, but you you're not an expert. Um, so I'm 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 gonna start doing that here more frequently. I don't know if I'll put it in every podcast just because it might get a little redundant, and that's a lot to say, <laughs> um, a lot to explain in every podcast. I explained it in my initial one, my very first one in the introduction. So yet again, I, I am not an expert on these things. I'm just somebody who, who loves them. I'm an enthusiast. I, I read a lot. Uh, and I, I love the faith. I love the Catholic faith. So, okay. So what, what, what what's the next thing we're going to turn to here? I want to discuss the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Because I think a lot of people get confused about these. And, and I get confused about these, to be honest. Because in a lot of ways, there aren't strict definitions for these things. Except for, I mean, love, I think, is is much more clearly defined in theology uh, than are both faith and hope. And, and I want to kind of discuss the various definitions that have floated around, to my knowledge, and which ones I think are most helpful, which ones I think maybe are less helpful. So, and we'll do them in order. We'll do faith, hope, and then love. Um, but first, I just want to say, the love one won't, won't be terribly... Uh, informative, I would imagine. I'll, I'll probably just expound on the definition of love, which I think virtually everybody agrees is love is not a feeling, right? It's an act of the will where you're willing the good of another. You're willing the good of another, okay? That's that's like the, the basic definition of love in Catholic philosophy and theology. Now, faith and hope are much more difficult to get a clear definition on, I think. Um, it's been the word faith is used in a particularly faith is used in a variety of contexts uh, in scripture itself it's used in multiple contexts saint paul uses it in a variety of ways uh, and then other other scriptural writers use it in different ways so there's various ways that people use the word and i would say there's there's at least a couple definitions of it that are prominent and the first which is most prominent at least in the modern day is Believing in something that you cannot see or that you cannot verify in any way. So, in that definition of faith, uh, things that are purely revelation uh, would be acts 
of faith. Although, I mean, even within that definition, there's gradients, right? Because you can have something that's like a pure act of faith where maybe you have no reason to believe something whatsoever, but yet you do anyway. That would be like a, an extreme form of faith. And I don't think, I can't think of any doctrine within Catholic theology that would be presented in that sort of a way. I don't think you should have blind faith, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, there, there's there's no reason for blind faith. Uh, I think blind faith is actually not a virtue. <laughs> um, I think I'm safe in arguing that, that it's not a virtue. Because everything that we believe, either through revelation or through natural reason, philosophy, we have reasons to believe it uh, that aren't just because somebody said so, you know. Uh, they're not just reasons of blind faith. And I think, I think that's an important thing to, uh, to consider because a lot of people assume that, and this is just an erroneous assumption that people have, that, uh, that faith is this blind faith. And that, that, that can be very problematic. Whereas, I would argue, a, a, good, a much better definition of faith is, um, is kind of like, like an educated guess, almost. Like, okay, reason, history, um, all these sorts of things are leading me towards this conclusion. But it's not, it's not conclusive, if you know what I mean. Let's say, um, let's take an obvious one, uh, the, the papacy, for example. I think there is very good historical evidence for the papacy. But there are a lot of people that dispute that evidence um, and, and make very good arguments about it. I think uh, Dr. Gavin Ortland at the channel Truth Unites, he makes some very good arguments against the papacy. And there are a lot of Eastern Orthodox in particular make very good arguments against the papacy, although not, not usually, the Orthodox don't usually argue against the papacy um, because generally, to my knowledge, they would agree that uh, the Pope of Rome, the Bishop of Rome, uh, has has the, the pride of place. He's first. Um, a lot of them will say first among equals, right? Uh, so they'll, they'll at least acknowledge that, that he has some sort of authority. But whether he has jurisdictional uh, and universal authority is what a lot of them will dispute. Whereas a lot of Protestants don't even go that far. They'll say, well, no, the Pope is just completely unfounded in, in a lot of ways, or, or it, you don't see it before the 4th century, which I, I think, I think those, those facts can be a little bit disputed. I'm not a historian, so I don't claim to know all those historical arguments. I haven't done a super deep dive into them. I, I know them generally, but I haven't done super deep dive into them. But anyway, that, that, that's something where I think you can see all the arguments, like, like the historical arguments, see the scriptural arguments with Matthew 16 and so many others, the uh, stuff from Isaiah, the typological arguments for the papacy from Isaiah with uh, Eliakim being the, being the uh, oh, what was it, like the prime minister basically for the king of Israel and there being this typological uh, thing there when Eliakim is given the keys to the kingdom. And then Peter is also given it, right? So there's this, this typological difference that you or, uh, connection that you can see between the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, which is, I think, actually a fairly good facet of those arguments. Um, and then, and then I think one of the best arguments for the papacy is just the argument from institutional chaos that without somebody at the helm, without somebody at the head of any organization, uh, the organization usually devolves into chaos and splintering. Uh, there's no sort of there's no sort of universal agreement when definitely I think there should be in a Christian church. In, in the true Christian church, whichever one that is, I obviously believe it's the Catholic church, um, there should be universal agreement on uh, So, 
and I think I think there's no way of institutionally having any sort of a universal agreement on things without a someone at the head, someone to be the final arbiter of dispute. Um, and of course, Jesus Christ is the true head of the church. Um, the Holy Trinity is the true head of the church. But but uh, institutionally, uh, the, the church, just like Christ, is an incarnate reality. It's made known to us, and so uh, we need institutional realities that make it up. And so I, I think it would only be uh, it would only be prudent of Christ to set up a church with someone at the head. And I think in a lot of ways, many of the revolutions that have taken place, the Protestant Revolution, and also you know the schisms with the Eastern Orthodox, and then earlier with the Oriental Orthodox, um, I think a lot of that is due to disagreements about uh, doctrine that turned into disagreements about headship. Because if you don't like what somebody is teaching, you can just say, well, I don't like them, right? Or I don't like their office, or whatever you might say. This is a super overly simplistic view of this issue of the papacy, mind you. <laughs> I'm not trying to make this as any sort of public argument for the papacy here. Um, but but uh, I, I think I think that's just a really good thing to consider. But all that said, all those things, the historical, the typological, scriptural arguments, and then just the argument from institutional stability, I would say, is kind of how I would put it. Um, I think those lead us towards the papacy. But like, you know, there's nothing absolutely clear in scripture or in the historical documents that we have that say super early on that, yes, the successor of Peter is to be the universal bishop of the entire church. The see of Rome is to be the the seat of, of universal jurisdiction. And he's supposed to have not just first among equals, but first in in uh, in jurisdiction, basically. And, and I don't think, you know, you're not going to find you're not going to find something that clear. And so on the papacy, for example, that's where even if you study everything really deep in depth, like you can still you're not going to find absolutely conclusive evidence of this stuff. And so that's where faith comes in. I think that's that's a true. That's what faith is. OK, I have all of these things that I think lead me towards evidence of this certain conclusion, but it's not absolutely conclusive. And so therefore, I have to take that little leap of faith. Sometimes it can be a larger faith, right, in order to, to uh, span that gap. And that is that is what a true definition of faith is, I think, particularly in Catholic theology. Um, the other definition of faith of, uh, of believing what's not there or blind faith is is very faulty, and I wouldn't consider that a virtue. So, but this other type of faith is sort of where you take a, a leap at the end after gathering all the evidence. That is what I would I would definitely consider that being a virtue. So, all right, let's uh, next time we will talk about the virtue of hope, how it's distinguished from faith, because a lot of times faith and hope get mixed up. People use them synonymously or equivocally. Um, so, yeah, all right, we will do that next time. Thanks. Oh, uh, real quick, real quick, please feel free to uh, subscribe to any of my podcasts on any of the podcast players. Find me on YouTube. Please subscribe. Like me on Facebook, like the Catholicism Car channel on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're all there, Catholicism Car. Find me. And then I also have a Patreon account if you wish to support what I do at this, at this podcast and this YouTube channel. And you can also support us on anchor.fm. There's a support button there you click on. I also have links to all of this on my website's support page at www.catholicisminthecar.com.